Points of View program to the last Points of View program for this 2016 repertory season. Tonight is Wednesday, May 4th, 2016. I'm Mary Wood, and it is my very great pleasure to welcome you here in the War Memorial Opera House in San Francisco. And of course, to welcome those who may be listening to this program um, on the ballet's website as a podcast at some very near future date. As we wrap up the season and uh, the company takes a break from performing locally, let me remind you that you should go to the company's website, sfballet.org, frequently over the summer to catch up on the touring schedule and the activities that the dancers are undertaking. Uh, we will see them during this hiatus before Nutcracker at Stern Grove, of course, on July 31st, always a popular break in the season. At the end of this month, the company will travel to, or a group from the company will travel to Helgi Thomason's homeland, Iceland, in order to perform a series of performances. And then, for those of you who may be in the Washington, D.C. area in late October, you can catch them at the Kennedy Center performing Christopher Wheeldon's Cinderella. And between all of those activities, there will be some vacationing, I hope, and the company will also be learning the four world premieres for next year's season and, of course, bringing up to date some of the other repertoire works. Um, as those of you who are regulars know, those of you who might be newcomers to this event, we, one of the most popular things we like to do is get your questions for the artists who are with us. And in order to do that, we ask you to come to the center aisle, come down to the very front of the orchestra pit there, where there is a standing mic, and ask your questions there. That enables everyone to hear the question, more importantly, for us to hear the question, and uh, we can then address it. So uh, when we're getting close to time for that, be thinking about your questions as we go along, and think about making your way to the center aisle in order to do that. The season is coming to a close with the dramatic and very popular full-length ballet, Onegin. was choreographed in 1965 by choreographer John Cranko. It is performed around the world in at least 20 different productions. It entered, there we go, entered our, the San Francisco Ballet repertoire in 2012, four seasons ago. And this evening we're very privileged to have two members of the San Francisco Ballet community who are in very good positions to speak about the piece. Uh, let me introduce, first on my right, Betsy Erickson. Betsy has enjoyed a very long association with San Francisco Ballet, beginning as a dancer during the 1960s with Lou Christensen, retiring in 1984 and interrupting that with a five-year stint as a soloist at American Ballet Theater. Following her retirement for after uh, several years as a ballet mistress at the Oakland Ballet, and traveling the world over as a choreographer in her own right. 
She returned to San Francisco Ballet as a ballet master in 1992 and oversees the works of a vast number of choreographers, including rising to the top of my mind, Mark Morris and Val Canaparoli, many others. And Betsy is especially valued for her work with the company's corps de ballet. So thank you, Betsy, for being with us. Welcome. And on my far right, yes, thank you. <laughs> on my far right, um, Patrick Armand joined the San Francisco Ballet family after an illustrious international career as a dancer, teacher, ballet master, and coach. Trained in France, his resume includes the Ballet Théâtre Français, the London Festival Ballet, now called the English National Ballet, and a stint with the Boston Ballet. And then he has performed in the major companies worldwide as a guest artist. During that career, he performed in the ballet Onegin as the character Lenski. So we are looking forward to hearing a little bit more about that in a minute. At the outset of his career in 1980, he won the gold medal at the Prix de Lausanne and continues an association with, uh, an association with that organization. And of course, that's something I'd like to hear a little bit more about as well. He became the principal of San Francisco Ballet's trainee program in 2010 and in 2012 was appointed the associate director of the San Francisco Ballet School. Patrick, welcome and thank you so much for being with us. I do want to start um, your current in, the, in our face sort of role is as director, associate director of the ballet school. And I wonder if we could start with your addressing the importance of a school whose mission is to produce professional dancers. And what kind of curriculum is required and how do you um, approach that organization? What I'm trying to do with the school at the moment, it's like providing for the future to be diverse as much as they can be. That means giving them a sound technique that choreographer and director of company can use. Um, and it's, the curriculum, I mean, it's quite wide in the fact that they're doing technique, classical technique, they're doing contemporary, uh, they're doing character, they're doing pantomime. I mean, I'm trying to give them as wide um, training possible for them to be, um, not to be surprised by anything, but they will be surprised by something eventually. <laughs> um, but my main point is to be able to, to give something, I mean, I, I envision classical ballet as something very pure and, uh, and I like clarity, I like purity, just for them to be able to do anything after that. Because my idea of, of technique is like, you need to be ready, you need to be placed, you need to be, um, it's like, you know, for a painter, giving them a blank, black, a, a blank canvas for them to be able to paint something with it. Then my idea is to bring students to be able to be diverse and to be aware of anything they could do and what people want them to do. Mm -hmm. And you have worked as I said, around the world and in many companies and with certainly with many, many, many different kinds of dancers. How does our curriculum compare with some of the other major academies throughout but the my, world? 
again, um, I studied ballet at a very young age, and my mother, I studied ballet with my mother. My mother had a special gift, really, that she knew how to place kids. And you know, it, it's, it's like a pyramid. If you're, if you're, the way you start ballet is going to be the right way and you're going to be placed. From then on, the possibilities are infinite. If you start ballet and you're not really well placed and then you're getting bad habits, then it's, a, it's getting much more difficult in the fact that you've got to get rid of the bad habits before you can even progress even more. Then after that, what I, I, I work in France, I work in England, I work with Peter Schaffus, which was one of the epitome of the Danish ballet. Then for me, it, there is good in every kind of technique. Um, I'm not somebody who's like, who can tell you we just do it one way. There is a lot of possibilities. The main point is how to be technically pure and clear. After that, you know, it could be a mix of Danish technique, Cecchetti, Vaganova. You know, every technique has a plus. Uh, but San Francisco Valley, we're not, we're not a school where, you know, Vaganova or Paris Opera is a different thing because the kids are going to be chosen from the beginning to be able to do that technique. Then the physical abilities will be already there to be able to approach that technique. Us, it's a little bit different. And I agree, I mean, I, I disagree a little bit with this because I believe that you don't have to have the perfect body or the perfect abilities to be a, a beautiful dancer. You just need the, the good training and you need a personal training. You need to know what's good for you, what's going to help you, what's going to develop you as an artist. Ah. And then the supplemental classes that you mentioned in character dance and pantomime and the things that will prepare them. Yeah, because I mean, a dancer, it's not a sport as we talked before. And you know, you want, to, you want them to be real artists. You want to be professional, but you want to be, they need, technique is only a tool to express yourself on stage. Then um, you've got to, Go get above the technique to be able that. Then, if your technique is not sound, then it's very difficult. It's much more difficult to be able to express yourself. From the moment you approach technique as as a way to express yourself, then everything becomes much more simple. That's my way. But. And speaking of being prepared to be on stage, the school will be showcased, as it were, very yep. soon now in yeah, the maybe. annual showcase, which is a very popular item. If you don't have your tickets, Please you better don't. scurry. Um, say just a few words about how the students are showcased. What do you aim for in that performance? But the showcase for the student, it's finally their, their moment of glory. You know, all, day, all year you work hard, and then they spend all day in the studio. I mean, some are lucky to be able to perform with the company. But you know, as when you start dancing, when you, when you say, I want to be a dancer, you don't think you want to be a dancer in a studio, you want to be a dancer on stage. Mm -hmm. Then I suppose the showcase is for all the kids an opportunity to finally get on stage and have that, that fantastic opportunity to be able to dance on the stage. And every level is featured? Yeah, except the from the, the level one. The level one, they got a little demonstration on Thursday night in the big studio in LC, but from level two to the trainee, they will be performing at the showcase, yeah. And the trainees will be performing very professional level works, as I recall. Yeah, and then we're very lucky this year to have um, two new ballets done for them, one by James O'Franco and one by Wang Wei, two dancers from the company, and Parish Mellard crea created a new piece for the level eight tune. Always going to so, be And the dates for that are May 25th, 26th, and 27th. The performance is at the Yerba Buena, Yerba Buena yeah. Theater. So as I said, if you don't already have a ticket, you better scurry. We're waiting for you. It's a popular thing to do. Um, many in the audience are probably familiar with the Prix de Lausanne. 
but many may not be. So would you just explain it, describe it, and then a little bit more about that whole world of... The Prix de Lausanne, that was, it was created in 1973, and it was created by uh, some wonderful people, Rosella Heitower, Marika Bezobrazova, and then some um, two, a wonderful couple called Philip and Elvia Braunschweig. Uh, and then the main point was to give the opportunity and at the beginning of the pre, it was only a few ballet schools. It was only, I think, Paris Opera, the Royal Ballet, Cannes, and some other school, in Marika School in Monte Carlo. That was to give the opportunity to kids coming from private school to have an opportunity to join a professional ballet school. Those four schools have become now something like 70 schools. It's becoming a, a much bigger uh, competition. But the interest of the competition, it, it lasts for a week. And, um, it's, not, it's very different than any other competition because it's not you don't just arrive, get on stage, put your tutu, your tiara, do your solo, and go home. It's, it's, a, it's an entire week of work, and there is workshop, there is conference, there is the taking class every day in, in ballet, in contemporary. Then they bring people to coach, your, to coach you for your solo, and then you're going finally to present the solo on, on the Friday. You had Monday to Friday to work on it. So it's a very productive and a very, um, very important competition, I find. And the result of the competition, the prize winners then? It's to get a scholarship to get into a professional ballet school. What, they call prof what we call professional ballet school, it's school attached to a ballet company because to be able to get a future, it's always easier if you get into a school attached to a company. And San Francisco Ballet School is, has received a number of yeah, finished students. Yeah. And I did a quick bit of research and discovered that there are seven, at least, seven members of our current company um, have come through. Out of the black, I can think about Francisco, Mogamba, Francisco, Sebastiao. David. David. Francis Chung. Jaime Garcia Castilla. Maria Kochakova. Yeah, that, there is a lot. <laughs> um, Lauren Strongen. But they were before my time, that's why I couldn't um, remember. Henry Sidford and Ming Shuang Wang. Yeah, Ming Shuang was with And as I said, there may be others. Those were the ones that I was able to unearth. So it's really quite um, kind of exciting that the, the very big world of ballet has that organization yeah. and then they, we, we, we reap the benefits. Yeah, and then it's, it's very important because they're very generous to the students. It, I mean, it did change the life of a lot, a lot of people. And your role as, with the Prix following your winning the prize in 1980, a long time um, ago, yeah. how do you function with the organization it's, now? I think it's at least my sixth year or seventh year. Um, I teach the kids there and I coach them for the classical solo. And it's uh, what I find very uh, interesting. It's like by the, the first day, you know, when, when you, they all used to their own teacher, then I suddenly end up in the, t in the studio with like 20 boys that from different school and everything. But what's very interesting, it's through the weeks, seeing them improve, seeing them uh, di discovering new things and, um, and really approaching the work differently. I mean, it's really interesting to see the, the, how they change during that week, mm. really. It's always exciting to watch yeah, emerging professionals, and you get to work with the young dancers of the company, watch that happen too. Um, we're going to segue into talking about Onegin, and um, the perfect segue is going to be, I think, to actually watch a video that Patrick provided us with of himself performing 
the role of Lenski. So let's see it. And... a prize-winning technique. Um, so now we're into talking about the work of Onegin. Who are you and what are you doing? I'm Lensky and I'm going to die. <laughs> oh dear. Um, so this is the character Lensky. Yeah. And who is Lensky? Lensky is Onegin's best friend or friend and he's a poet and he's a very hot headed uh, personage, character. It's a, it's, some, some, it's a role that I always wanted to dance because when you, as a principal dancer in a company, most of the Red Ballet, you're always playing some fairy tale. You're always playing a prince or somebody who's not really, I mean, or you fall in love with a swan or you fall in love with a doll or you, it's, it's always a little bit, you know, it's fun. I adore doing it. But finally, Having a role like Lensky to do, it's fantastic because you're actually a real character, you're a real personage. Then um, whenever, whatever amount of time you're dancing that ballet, there is always something new to find out. And it's such a meaty role because, you know, you start out of plainly being in love with that beautiful girl, um, and then suddenly, out of the blue, everything is going to change, it's going to, to get transformed, and then suddenly, you end up like, going to a duel with somebody that you know, you know you're going to die because Lensky is not somebody who never had a gun in his hand, he's somebody who is a poet, he's somebody who is really, who loves life. It's, it's like Goethe, you know, he's it's, it's a romantic, he's a complete romantic. Then um, it's the, what's fantastic in that ballet, it's the, the, the progression of the character. You know, you start the first act doing that little solo and then you've got a beautiful pas de deux and it's all joyful and you're all happy and you're mad in love with that girl. Then you go to a party and suddenly, and again, your friend is, be is becoming a little bit of a um, bad person because he's starting playing in front of everybody else uh, with your girlfriend. Till the point, the progression, and then, you know, I think Lenski was somebody very susceptible, you know, he, you couldn't accept that. And suddenly he goes out of his brain, of, out of his mind, and then provoke him to a duel. And what's beautiful about that solo, because it's a technically very difficult solo, but if you approach it the right way, because you've got to dance that solo knowing that's your last minute on earth, you know you're going to die, because there is no way you're going to beat Onegin into a duel, you're going to die. Then it's such a, the music is so beautiful, and, um, and the steps, you've got to give every step a meaning. There is a desperation about the solo, there is, there is, it's not even sadness, it's resignation more about it. I find it quite amazing. And something I want to get 
um, develop a little bit more in a couple of conversations also, including Betsy now, um, is how Cranko seems to have a genius for being able to move the story forward, convey the character and the action, but through dance more than just pantomime, which we saw in that solo. Let's go on to the next clip, video clip we have, which is known as the teaser. Um, you may have seen it if you watch TV. San Francisco Ballet brings the 2016 season to a close with Onegin. A sweeping Tchaikovsky score and gorgeous choreography bring you all the color and pageantry of Imperial Russia. Thrillingly theatrical, astonishingly human. The SF Chronicle called it a ballet that will change the way you see dance forever. Onegin, April 30th to May 8th only. Buy tickets today at sfballet.org. Sorry about the push there at the end. Um, but I, I have to laugh as we look at that. That's 20 seconds of dance, and you saw the whole story. It's all right there <laughs> from beginning to end. Betsy, I want to uh, bring you into the conversation here. This is a huge production, absolutely huge. And I remember four years ago when it was brought into the company, um, it was very clear that the entire organization had to go to work on it. So would you say a few words about how the entire artistic staff approaches something as monumental as this production? It, it is a huge production, and there are lots of characters and lots of scenes in the ballet. Um, I work mostly in this ballet with the Corte Ballet, which is the group dances, and they're very important because they support the main characters, and they create the atmosphere, and they um, fill the stage with the kind of energy that allows us to see what's going on, hopefully not distracting, but contributing to the scene in general. And um, so I rehearse and teach those parts uh, for act one, two, and three. There are three acts. And um, it, it was actually quite wonderful. And in fact, there are several students from the school who are participating in it especially in act, well, in all the acts, but um, there are quite a few characters in the second act at this party that uh, Patrick spoke about that um, when Onegin starts uh, flirting with uh, Olga, who is Linsky's fiance, uh, there are quite a few characters there that have to contribute to the scene and to the story without distracting from it, and there are several that are uh, supposedly quite old, and those, in fact, are mostly quite young because they're students from the school. But you'll see them, and each character was uh, coached and developed uh, in the rehearsal process so that it would contribute to the feeling of a party of people of all ages gathering to celebrate um, in the country in this beautiful setting. And that's when actually the, the drama really gets to full force and when the challenge for the duel occurs and how those people react to it. Sometimes you feel the, uh, the implications of the situation by how someone else is reacting to it. And so all of that is brought into focus in these group dances. It's not only dances, but uh, drama, which has been wonderful for the younger ones to experience 
how to be a character on stage, and that's not always an easy thing for a young person because they haven't had much experience. And, and it's then your role to be working with those characters that are emerging? Yes, I, I work with those characters in, in all three acts. In, in the third act, it's mostly a Polonaise, which sets the stage for uh, Tatiana in her later years when she's married Gremen, uh, and it's just a very lavish ball, and so there isn't a lot of drama or characters in that. But in the second act, mm -hmm. There are quite a few characters, and it just establishes the style of the period. Um, in first act, there's a kind of a Russian peasant dance almost um, with, that the guys, the young guys do, and uh, it, it's a lot of fun. And we've had several of the trainees uh, participating in that and alternating because it's a very hard dance and requires the guys to go into a deep, we call it a like a grand plié, very quickly. So we're trying to spread out the um, the load of that technique over two casts. So they alternate, and we have several students in there, and they're doing very very well. So it, it's it's been great. This season has been great, and we've called upon many of the students to participate in these productions. Well, I know that you. Um in coaching the ensembles in this, there are a huge number of dancers, both men and women. Um, you have worked with the corps de ballet in many of our other repertoire works, and it did occur to me that there's probably a difference in your approach between working with a group of swans and working with this group of aristocrats or peasants or whatever. There is a difference, of course, uh, when you have, we have 30 swans on stage, and so that means 30 young ladies need to move exactly alike and interpret the music exactly alike and have the same uh, arm movements and the same head angles and all of that. Whereas in Onegin, there's a lot of leeway for individuality yeah. and for characters to evolve, and we're, we encourage that kind of interpretation because it gives more character to the scene. You don't want everyone to be just alike or standing very still in place. You want them participating in the scene. So it, it's a very different thing to approach Swan Lake versus Onegin versus any other ballet. There's different ways to approach depending on what's needed. And back to Patrick's mentioning how the students need to be prepared for such a wide variety of challenges. Um, what we're looking at at the moment are the actual leads. There are five featured roles, but this is Onegin and Tatiana. <clears throat> Let's go, ah, here we are with, in our current production with Olga and Lenski. And then if we go to the next video, um, I think we're going to see Patrick with his Olga.
So we're a little out of order. You mentioned that the solo that we first showed is right before the duel, whereas this is much earlier the in the ballet. Time. So what's actually happening here? Oh, we just, it's the first time that I'm going to introduce Onegin to the Larina's family, to, mm -hmm. to the Larina with the mother of uh, Olga and uh, Tatiana. Mm -hmm. Then that's in the backyard, and then um, Tatiana is reading. I'm coming on with Onegin, and Onegin is somebody who is really mm -hmm. back, and he's not. And, um, and it just, suddenly, yeah, because I'm trying to court Olga, and then I'm just doing, we're just going to dance together. The, there's nothing much happening, just it's... It's your introduction. It's me yes. telling how much I love Olga. And what, what company was that that you were performing? That, that was with Boston Ballet, but the first time I danced it was with Festival Ballet. Aha. Um, this is from our current production, and this is Lenski, and I think we're back to where we were in, when yeah, we saw your solo the first time. Um, how do you feel about watching the, the progression of dancers inheriting roles over the generations. Do you feel as though the dancers are um, being able to carry the, the intention of the choreographer as I hopefully, I mean, from generation to generation? But I think Onegin, I mean, with the Krankos Ballet, I was fortunate to have done like the three main ballet. I did Romeo, I did Petruchio in Taming of the Shrew, and then I did Lenski. Mm -hmm. um, the way the ballet had been kept by Reed and Dito and all those people, they really very, um, you know, I can see the ballet tomorrow and it would be exactly the same way. I mean, there is few little details who change, but barely mm -hmm. the ballet mm -hmm. still will be the same. And I was, what's very important, what um, Betsy was saying, in Onegin, what's interesting, and it's different from Swanlek and Coppelia, it's the fact that even the core ballet needs to be real people. They, they're not swans, they're not dolls. And that's why it's very important to keep where I find it, Betsy was absolutely right. You need to have, everybody needs to, be, needs to be a real human being. Everybody needs to be different. You don't have that. And they still got to dance together, but they still got to have their own personality. And that's what it's fascinating to do that kind of, those kind of ballet. Mm -hmm. um, here we have uh, a still image of the um, ensemble. And this is the third act. This is the... This is the polonaise, which is the big ball given uh, with uh, Tatiana and We can Grimm. actually watch them dancing. We have a video. So actually, we're seeing several things there. We are seeing the um, n more national style that would have been typical of Imperial Russia. And then, of course, the ensemble has to be working together. Um, the music, I bet you that many of the audience are familiar with the opera of Onegin. And there they are doing a polonaise. It's not the polonaise from the opera. Um, can you, either of you, address the fact that Kranko chose not to use a single note of the opera music? 
Actually, I don't think that was Kronko who decided. I think he was asked not to use the, the music uh -huh. from the opera. Interesting, okay. That's what I think. I'm, I cannot be too sure, but mm -hmm. I think that's what, that, what was the problem. And what he did, he took some piano music from, um, from Tchaikovsky and then uh, Stolze, the a composer, mm -hmm. um, orchestrated them for the, for the ballet. Right, I know it's just a... But I can tell you, you will have the, the, the Onegin Polonaise at the showcase <laughs> from the opera. That will be the demonstration. They will be on the Onyegin oh, on the Polonaise. Yeah. So we get the full range, the yeah, Tchaikovsky from, from beginning to end. Um, we have a couple of more images here. And um, just to complete the story, who are these people and what's happening here? Betsy? Well, this is uh, Prince Gremin and Tatiana. And this is some years later. Um, and they've married, and it's quite obvious by the choreography that they have a very loving and established uh, relationship that ha feels very meaningful and um, passionate, but not, not in the kind of youthful, wild passion that she felt for uh, Onegin, but a very established relationship and this is just at the end of their duet in the in the ballroom and then <clears throat> we have this so what's happening here well Onegin uh, reappears in Tatiana's life uh, she realizes that um, she she probably hasn't seen him in years and years and they've aged and they've matured and he apparently sends her a letter, uh, which she receives in her home, and um, Onegin comes to visit her, and had the, the letter has been delivered before he arrives, and she's in a lot of turmoil about it. And there's a moment where she gives in to this passion that she has for him, uh, and sort of recalls what they had what she thought they had before. And uh, he's more or less begging forgiveness for his behavior years, years before. But she doesn't accept it. And she tears up the letter, uh, his letter, and sends him away. And we, we weep. Um, this it's is very your, sad, I think. Yeah. Yes. We, this is your warning that we will be ready to take your questions. So if you have been forming some in your mind, please begin to make your way to the center and come and just make a little cue behind the mic there. And while you're doing that, could I just say, ask the folks here, why does this work, what makes it so incredibly popular? with both audiences and with the dancers? Well, I, I know the dancers love performing it, and they love being in the ballet, just being a part of it. Uh, it rings so true. It, each character is so beautifully developed with the choreography. Of course, to be one of the five main principles is, um, is a terrific thing, and to be able to develop the character. But even uh, the corps de ballet that doesn't have such a featured role, they know that each person is very important in the production. And they feel that importance and that obligation and that responsibility 
to keep this ballet alive. It's just a, a beautiful work, and it's a great honor to be performing in it and to be working with it. Let's take the first question. Speak right into the mic, please. Thanks. When San Francisco Ballet does a ballet for the first time, oftentimes the choreographer will come and set it and is given free choice in terms of the casting. If the choreographer is unable to come or is deceased, as in the case with Cranko, uh, an emissary comes from the estate or the copyright holder and teaches it to the company. I'm wondering whether in this case it was June Born, who came and taught it to the company, who chose the casting, or whether it was Helgi. And I'm particularly interested because uh, there are some major parts of five principles that were cast from very new people in the corps de ballet. Betsy, can you um, it? Originally, it was Jane Bourne who came to teach the company um, whenever that was, five years ago? 2012, yeah. 2012. So the season before that, yeah. Um, and it was. It was really, I would say, in collaboration with Helgi because he knows the company so well. It's a very different situation for someone to come in who doesn't know the company, doesn't know um, how someone performs on stage, for instance. So that I, it's a collaboration between those two people, the people that are teaching the ballet to us and our artistic director, Helgi Thomason. And as time, as the choreography starts developing on the dancer, you see whether it's uh, a fit for them to learn Tatiana or Olga or Lenski or Onegin or Grumman. Each character is so very different and some people are one or the other. Um, and you start to see that in their character and in the style of their personality. Well, could you, you comment on the people from the Corps that now have principal roles in this one? Uh, yes, it's a wonderful opportunity. We have uh, Lonnie Weeks and Miles Thatcher and Henry. Ben Fremantle. And Henry Sidford. No, he's not doing it. Oh, I thought I saw his um, Those Sorry. three guys are from the Corps de Ballet, and they're doing it. Actually, Miles Thatcher had learned it um, originally several years ago, but Lonnie and uh, Ben Fremantle are brand new to the roles, and those were choices that, again, were a collaboration between Helgi and Reed Anderson, who came this time, who's the director of the Stuttgart Ballet. Um, and Hans de Berlin. Mm -hmm. And the ballet, Jons de Berlin. And yes, and he's responsible for the ballet and, and maintaining it. And so it was a collaboration of a choice of who looked like Alensky and who he watched class every day and chose people who he thought. And as time evolved, we saw, yes, indeed, there's Alensky there. Thank you. Thank you. Um, next question. I think tonight uh, might be the fifth time I've seen Onyegin, uh, the second time this year. Uh, one thing I noticed uh, on opening night was the, the extremely subtle touches that have a big impact, the, the subtle gestures, uh, <clears throat> which I hadn't really noticed before. And if I can sneak in another question, was the, um, was the dancing in Act Two for the uh, older, old people, was that redone at all from previous years? 
No, I believe it's exactly the same <laughs> uh, that we have done in previous years. And, and I think that there's, uh, there's been a very wonderful sharpness of focus um, on the characters and on sometimes just one look uh, will tell a whole story. And that happens definitely uh, at the end of the first scene in Act Two of Onegin looking, uh, saying, yes, he accepts the duel from Lenski. Lenski slaps him with his glove and throws the glove down, and that is a challenge to a duel. And Onegin complies, yes, I accept the challenge. And then he looks at Tatiana just before he leaves meaning it's her fault. He's put the blame on Tatiana. And that might be something that you would miss in your first viewing of the ballet because- It could be, it's but it's, it's very clear because oh. there's not a lot else going on mm -hmm. stage at that moment. Mm. So it's, it's very clear uh, eye contact and um, it goes right with the music. So it, it's a, a very strong moment. Since nobody else is lined up, I, I have another question in reserve. Um, the first question really made me think of this, and that is, I think it might be possible, and you can agree or disagree, that an artistic director is interested in a particular ballet, especially one like this, that has such sharply defined characters. Um, when he, is, he or she is confident that there are those dancers in the company at the moment, and maybe during a certain season in a company's life, there is the perfect Tatiana or, or something like that. Patrick, in your experience doing this ballet with different companies, would you say that, that there is a lifetime, I mean, there is a season in a company when the right characters are present for a ballet like this? Yeah, you're lucky if you get the ballet at that time. But mm -hmm. you know, um, I think directors, when they take Onyegi, not only it's very challenging for the company, mm -hmm. it's ch challenging for your dancers, challenging for the, for the audience too, because it's a different kind of ballet. Mm -hmm. um, and what I want to say too about Kranko, Kranko was a master of defining character without using any kind of pantomime. You know, you'll see in Onyegin, there is barely any, you know, like in, in Giselle, and there, is all, there is a lot of pantomime in classical ballet, but Kranko was a master at expressing emotion through the choreography. And, um, you know, in Onyegin, that last pas de deux is one of the most amazing, I find one of the most amazing pas de deux never done. But, and all, you can see all the, all the emotion going through that pas de deux just through the dancing, and that's why it's so amazing. And that's why the ballet doesn't really change. Wherever you do it, wherever you put it on, you know, it's, you're going to have to express through the choreography, and the choreography is never, ever going to change. Aha. Well, we have reached the end of our time, and I want to thank, very much thank Patrick. Thank you. Thank you, Betsy. Thank you. And I want to thank you, the audience, for being so wonderful this season. And we look forward to seeing you when the 2017 season launches in next January. Thanks so much.